Good morning, everybody. I don't know why we do saving time, because we all waste the hour anyways, and then we're more tired the next day. I, I don't know how that works, but... Hey, we uh, a couple things. We had a really nice night last week at Light the Night when we went over across to Elevated, and uh, it was a incredibly fun time. It turned out really well, so um, hoping we do that again next year. That was fun. Also, this morning we have a chance to say goodbye to some beloved friends. So, Paul and Carol Krotov, would you stand up, please? Right here, let's give them a hand. Yeah. So, Paul and Carol. Uh, have sold their house. They are moving to Spokane. And this is their last Sunday with us. They have been wonderful behind the scenes, help with all kinds of stuff. We will dearly miss them. Carol came up to me and said, uh, Steve, you need to know I've been in church all my life. She said, I've never been in a community like Northview. It has just blessed us beyond all measure. So let's give them one more hand and hug them on the way out and tell them thank you. Love you guys. All right. Okay, I want to give you an update. If you were not able to be part of the Sunday night celebration last week that we did uh, with the dessert, it was a lot of fun. We have great praise, uh, Move the Mountain. So here's where we're at. So the loan balance as of today is 266000 and some change, all right? And that is way down. If you remember, it wasn't that long ago, it was 386000 right? So hats off to you guys. It just phenomenally kicked it out. But it's down that low. And we have uh, 50, to date, 58 pledges. Now this is a little bit of a misnomer because we are typical Northview. And so uh, some of you are giving and you never filled out a card. All right. And so by January, we'll figure out that you're actually part of the campaign. All right. Which is great. And then also some have not been able to give yet. And so they, uh, one came up and talked to me just today and said, by the way, I was out of town. We're going to talk about that. So it's coming up. And I know some have told me that some will come in at the year end, right? So this, uh, there will be more than 58. But as of right now, as best as we can nail it, we got 58 pledge cards. With that pledge cards, we have uh, $296,988. All right, that is fantastic. So basically 297000 with more coming in, which means that uh, we will be in great shape uh, for paying off the loan. So someone came up to me and said, oh, that's really good. So you don't need any other pledges, right? And I went, no, 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 no. That's not the... So let's go through this again to make sure it's just clear in our heads because this is a fantastic first step. But here's, here's where we're going. So... Right now, what we're trying to do is eliminate the debt. That's the building loan balance that it took to build out. That was originally $2.1 million. We had enough to put against that, that it was $1.5. From the $1.5, we paid down to $2.66, right, and some change. And now we're going to pay that off. So how, we, how we've done that is we are doing a two-year capital campaign, which more people can jump in as we go farther along. And... Uh, we want to pay off the loan and then we want to add to the Kingdom Faith Fund. Mar- I wanted to call it War Chest. Margaret said that was too violent. And so we can't call it War Chest. So we're calling it the Kingdom Faith Fund. But if you're a guy with me, it's a War Chest. All right. And uh, <clears throat> what we want to do from there is once the loan is paid off, we want to build <clears throat> a fund that then we can ask the Lord, what should our next step be? We have laid before us the idea of building our, or buying our building that we're in right now. 
And that would not just be the half we have, but the next part that used to be Zipfiz, or it's now Laxco, uh, if God would give us favor in that. Uh, also, the idea of planting a church. And the other piece that we have to walk through is ministry growth. Uh, that is a pseudonym for transition. All right? So what that means is uh, we're going to have to think through the transition of my role. All right? And none of you would talk about it, so I'm talking about it. You're going, I don't like you talking about it. Well, I don't like talking about it either, but tough. Okay? So you have to think about this because in two years, right? I'm 63 right now. Two years we finish, I'm 65. Two more years we hit, I'm 67. Well, somewhere in there, We've got to figure out how to transition. Now, here's the deal. I don't really know how to do it either. Okay? You're going, how do we do that? I don't really know, but I do know this. I know a lot of ways not to do it. I have watched people do this for 30, 40 some years and watched them do horribly at it. And I know what not to do. Right? So that will be really helpful. So in knowing what not to do, it will set us up well for doing what we have to do well. And so we're going to pray through that. So the next two years, this next two years, is a really important point, a time uh, for us. If you will join us in this, God, what are our next steps? Lay it out for us. We want to see it. And the dream, the real dream, is none of these. The real dream is uh, we have believed for a long time that God would do a work in Mill Creek. And it's not really happened. Okay, It's not really uh, taken place. And we've, we've prayed for a long time and we're kind of like the disciples. Remember when they were out fishing all night and got nothing? And Jesus said, well, yeah, why don't you just throw the net over on the right side? You'll catch something. Oh, Lord, I mean, we've been doing this all night long. Are you kidding? We're fishermen. We know what we're doing. But if you say so, we'll throw it over and boom, right, it came. And I think it may be that kind of thing. It's a God timing thing. And when God moves, we want to be ready for the catch. We want to be ready to be there, to be alert, and, and to pick up what God's gathering. So that's the real dream, is that God would break out in Mill Creek. We desperately need him to do something, and that's the dream. So if you'd pray with us and join us in that, uh, we, would, we would love to do that, but that's where we're going, all right? Does that helpful? Make sense? Okay, sweet. So grab your Bibles. We're in our series in Mark, the Gospel of Immediacy. This has been a really... Good series. A number of you have come up and said, man, this thing has been speaking to me. God's been talking to me through this thing. And we just, we just want to keep that, uh, keep that whole thing going. So before we get started, let's pray this morning and ask for the Lord to do that for us, all right? Father, we come, and when we come, we're really dependent on you. All right, my friends here have been going in a hundred different directions this week. So have I. And for the idea that we can just walk in and sit down and it all comes together it's, it's pretty crazy, unless you're part of it. Lord, this uh, message has some really interesting things in it, but it's not going to catch people unless you highlight it. And as we go through the morning, as ideas pop, we're looking, Lord, for that place where you intersect and suddenly we realize you're talking to us. Sometimes it's like we're the only person in the room and and how did you know? And sometimes it's like, wow, I never thought of that before. Sometimes it's like, whoa, that really grabbed me. And, and Father, we're looking for that this morning. The part only you can do. And so we pray. We pray for your manifest presence among us, that you would be the guest of honor and that you would have freedom in this room to talk to your sons and your daughters in the best way. And that may mean, very really, it may mean that 
uh, you deviate in the conversation away from the message to a conversation you want to have with some of us, and it may have nothing to do with the message at all. And that, on my part, Lord, is totally okay. Have your way this morning. We give that to you in your name. Amen. All right. Super. So grab Mark 11. What we're going to do is we're just going to read. We're reading verses 1 through 11. So just, I'm reading out of ESV, and uh, it reads like this. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and to Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found the colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let him go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. All right? So let's... uh, Pull that apart. We'll start and uh, let's break it out. We're going to start here with verses 1 to 3. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and then Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it and they will send it back here immediately. Right? Now here again, you see the use of Mark's word immediately. He likes that word. It moves it. Right? It makes it really like it's happening right now. And um, we know a lot of, from the other Gospels about Bethany, just some things that uh, relate to this town. It was the home of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. Remember, Mary and Martha had a number of interactions with Jesus. Lazarus was actually risen from the dead by Jesus and brought back to life. Uh, this is also where Jesus' feet were anointed with oil before his burial. Uh, the location of Bethany is well known. The location of Bethphage isn't as well known. Uh, it was one of those towns that got wiped out in the wars and they're not really sure exactly where it is, but they know it was in very close proximity to Bethany. And Bethany and Bethphage together are about two miles from Jerusalem. So visual aid, this is a helpful visual aid. Here's a view from the Mount of Olives. And if you've been there, you've seen this view. You're standing up in the Mount of Olives and a couple key features that are important here. Notice in the foreground right here is an enormous graveyard, right? I mean, just, and that's just a section of it. But the entire hillside is, is a graveyard, uh, through which you walk through as you're heading down. In the middle there, where you see that road going across, that's the Kidron Valley. And so if you look up on a map, you can see its relation. And if you look there, then you see the east wall of Jerusalem. Then you would see the Dome on the Rock. That's that gold uh, piece there, which is in close location to where the temple used to be. And uh, there's a big argument whether that's the exact spot or not. And 
I guess Jesus will reveal that in the future. We'll, we'll find out. But a couple things. The east wall, that east gate is no longer, you can't go through it because uh, that is the gate that is predicted when Jesus returns. That's the gate he'll enter in. And so when uh, the Muslims conquered Jerusalem, the sultan realized that, and so he brick and mortared that gate shut. Like that's going to stop him. Okay? But it's mortared shut and will not be opened again until Jesus returns. All right? And so, so this is, Jesus came down that road, came across and came through the east wall and came through the east gate and then went in there to the temple. Is that helpful visual aid? Right, it's pretty cool. You can see it all there. And um, when I mentioned this uh, this graveyard here, a very important graveyard. Some of the most famous people in the Bible are buried there. And uh, Jesus would have gone right past one of them that I'm referring to. And the grave that I'm referring to is the grave of the prophet Zechariah. All right? Zechariah is uh, the second to the last book in the Old Testament. You have Zechariah, then Malachi. Right, And so... Uh, Zechariah is buried there. And uh, it was Zechariah who prophesied this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. When Zechariah wrote this, when he prophesied this, it was over 500 years before Jesus had ever shown up. Just think how long 500 years is. And so this scripture applies to the passage that we are talking about today. The passage we're talking about today is commonly known as what? Palm Sunday, right? And we usually practice or rehearse that uh, right before Easter um, together. And so... um, Zechariah here is proclaiming the coming of the promised king. Proclaiming the coming of the Messiah. That he would come humbly. By the way, a lot of people see God as the great uh, control freak of the universe. He's, he's the ultimate ego uh, kind of thing. And remember that Jesus is an exact representation and reflection of God's true nature. And, and he came riding on the foal of a donkey. Humbly. By the way, that was what King David was known for. King David, I don't know if you know this, he never rode a horse. King David rode a mule. And it was an act of humility that all the people knew the king was a humble king because he rode a mule, not a horse, like royalty did. So Jesus is actually here following in the footsteps, actually undoing one lower rather than a mule. He's riding a donkey to express humility. Just know that about the heart of God, right? Uh, as to this crossing, when we're talking about crossing the Kidron Valley, you know, there have been a lot of famous crossings. If you just think through some of them that you know about, of course, there's Israel crossing the Red Sea. That's a pretty famous one, right? And then there's David uh, crossing the Valley of Elah to fight Goliath, right? Remember, they were camped on the two hills and he came across and that's where they battled. There's other famous crossings like uh, Julius Caesar crossing the Rubicon, uh, you got General Patton crossing the Rhine. You got Lewis and Clark crossing the Mississippi. You got George Washington crossing the Delaware River. Right? There's some fa- pretty famous crossings. But no crossing in all of history was as significant or carried greater import than this crossing of Jesus riding on a donkey 
across the Kidron Valley. It has monumental circumstances to it. By the way, he will return to this spot in the future. And again, our friend Zechariah helps us out with this. He foretells of this terrible battle against Jerusalem. And in the midst of that battle, he says this, And then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. Uh, This will not be Jesus meek and mild. Okay? And on that day, his feet shall stand, he being the Lord Jesus, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lie before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. So it says Jesus will come down, stand on the Mount of Olives, and an earthquake will happen, and it will literally split north and south, and there will be a pathway between, just like the Red Sea, where Israel can escape from this terrible battle. So Jesus crossing here uh, is uh, really... So here you have Zechariah, 500 years before Jesus, right? Telling about Jesus who's going to come riding on the donkey and then prophesying way in the future, all the way to the book of Revelations, what's going to happen at the end. You see how profound that is? Zechariah is quite a dude. I mean, that's a fascinating... Uh, he goes on to predict some other amazing things. And you're kind of saying, well, what things? Well, you can go to the book and look it up. <laughs> How's that? But back to our story for today. Right? I just wanted to see all the connections to that piece. But moving on, it says this. And then they went away and they found a colt tied at a door outside the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let him go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Now, again, what's remarkable here, we just take it so for granted, but is Jesus' prescience, right? Isn't that a cool word, prescience? But it just means his, his foreknowledge, his ability to see to ahead and say, look, this is how it's going to happen. Remember when he said to Peter, go catch a fish and pull it out, and there'll be a coin in the fish's mouth? And, and this is the same kind of thing. Hey, you Walk into the next town. There's going to be this donkey. It's going to be tied up. Untie it. If they ask you what's going on, tell them, and they'll let you have it. Now, how did he know that? Right? He hadn't gone ahead and scouted the thing. It, it, it just tells you, uh, you know, of his sovereignty and also of his lordship. And this is one of those interesting little flips, right, where you read Scripture and go, I wonder what would have happened if. Right? So imagine the disciples come up, they start untying the colt, they say, what are you doing untying the colt? And they said, well, Jesus needs it. No! We're not sharing our donkey with you. What do you think this is, America? Get out of here. Not doing that. Just think how different history would be. What would have happened next? It would be mind-blowing, right? It would change. And it just tells you history pivots on these really small fulcrum points of, of God's design and sovereignty that he set up. And they, it just, it's, it's really incredible. Anyways, on with the story. Then it says this. And then, oops, there we go. No, that skipped one. Okay. And they spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And again, this is where we get Palm Sunday from, right? We reenact that the Sunday before Easter. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. 
Hosanna in the highest. Now, when it comes to this crowd, we don't totally know where they came from uh, or who was exactly there. They could have been pilgrims that were going towards Jerusalem and, and they picked up with Jesus and the disciples as they were heading that way. Um, we know from the stories that we've already covered that great crowds went with them wherever Jesus was. And so there was an entourage. We also know that there was great anticipation building up. That as Jesus came down and headed south and hit uh, Jericho and then moved towards Jerusalem, anticipation built up. People were like, could this be it? Is he the one? Da, da, da. Right? There was all that chatter going on in the background. And so out of this, as Jesus moves from Bethany and and he heads, there's this crowd with him. And we know that anticipation is building. And the reaction is spontaneous. Now we go, wow, how did they know? They know these scriptures from Zechariah. They had grown up with these scriptures as a kid. They knew every scripture that talked about the coming king. And they were like, boom, donkey, colt, guy riding it. It's got to be him, right? And it just explodes. Jesus moves forward. The crowd erupts. People lay down their cloaks and robes. That's an act of royal homage. Here comes the king. Behold the king, right? The Laying it down. Waving leafy branches uh, would mimic what would take place at the Feast of Tabernacles. Right? And there's, by the way, there's all kinds of future stuff tied to the Feast of Tabernacles that hasn't happened yet. Don't have time to go into this morning, but it's a fascinating deal. But it would have been a loud and joyous procession. Right? So now, here's the thing. It could be seen and heard from afar. So you have this big hill. Here's the Mount of Olives. And it comes down to Kidron Valley and then comes up. And then here's the east wall of Jerusalem, and then here's the temple, right? As this erupts on this hillside, it can be heard across the valley over here. And so they would have been able to hear it. They would have been able to see it. They would have seen it moving down. And so commotion would have started kicking up in Jerusalem, like what's going on and who's that coming and why is there a crowd and what's all the shouting about and what's the why are people waving branches? Because that was an instant signal to them that... This was significant. And, uh, and one of the questions that um, is often asked, and we've asked it, is like, how could the Jews have missed when Jesus said that he was going to be the suffering servant and that he would have to die for the sins of the world? How could they have missed that? And it's exactly right here at this point where that piece ties together and you see how they could have missed it. And you're going, because of a donkey? Well, things that's attached to that. Um, this, this procession coming down gives us remarkable insight uh, on how it framed in the mind of the Jewish people at that time right there. This type of procession had happened before. Right? Uh, I don't know if, if you've studied any of the history, or done, but have you ever read about the Maccabees? Right? The Maccabees were this incredible family. Uh, uh, Israel and Jerusalem was under siege from Syria and uh, had oppressive kings that were uh, doing all kinds of stuff. And there, a family arose, led by the father Matthias, and then he soon died. But then his fourth son, Judas, uh, became known as the Maccabee. And Maccabee means the hammer. Right? And so it was Judas Maccabee, Judas the hammer. And the reason he was called, called the hammer is because he was such a ferocious fighter. 
they often took on armies uh, the odds of 100 to 1 or 1,000 to 1 and beat them. Okay? So we are talking about some nasty kick-butt dudes here. All right? And they should make a film of it because it's absolutely incredible. But they actually drove out the armies uh, of Sirius. And the, the guy that they defeated was a guy in a four-year-long battle known as Antiochus Epiphanes. Okay, Antiochus Epiphanes was a serious king. And Antiochus Epiphany is a prototype of the Antichrist. So when you think of, uh, in Revelation, and you think of the type of person the Antichrist is, Antiochus Epiphany, Nero, are all prototypes of the one to come. Matter of fact, Epiphanes, the last name he took for himself, literally means God manifest. That's humble, right? So Antiochus, God manifests. So you have Jesus riding in on a donkey and you have Antiochus calling himself God manifest here. Uh, but Judas, upon defeating them, uh, came into Jerusalem. And I looked this up in history, so it's not scripture, but here was the description of it. It says, on the 23rd day of the second month in the year 171. All right, so about... 200 years, uh, we're talking, there was a gap. There was a great celebration in the city because the terrible threat to the security of Israel had come to an end. They had defeated Antiochus' armies. Then Simon, this would be Judas, and his men entered the fort and look at the description. What happened? They entered the fort singing hymns of praise and thanksgiving while carrying palm branches and playing harps and cymbals and lyres. That ring a bell for anybody? Right? Sound familiar? Look at that passage again. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our Father. And they were doing it at the top of their lungs, right? They're not doing it like me reading it. They weren't going, Hosanna, right? Hosanna! Right? With how many ever there were. And Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna literally means save now. Like right now. Like Mark's immediately. Like we, we like this now. Let's do it. Let's, let's get this thing moving. Kick it. Right? That's what they were saying. Here he comes. They went. They put those passages of Zechariah together. Said, dude, donkey, cloaks, branches, king. Boom. Hosanna. This is it. This is it. It's happening right now. What were they thinking? Look at the phrase. You can, it tells you what they were thinking. Notice in there the phrase that says, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of what? The kingdom of our father, who? David. David? How did David get in there? Well, think through their history. David overthrew the Jebusites, defeated the Philistines, made Israel a nation, the greatest king Israel ever knew. Judas Maccabees, right? Overthrew the Syrians. And now Jesus, who will overthrow the Romans. Boom, boom, boom. Absolutely, Hosanna in the highest. They were set. It was applied. It fit. They had it. I'm going to ask the guys if you'd help us do communion at that point. So if you'd get up and help serve us communion, thank you very much. And while they're doing that, we'll walk through the rest here. And he entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple when he had looked around at everything as it was already late 
He went out to Bethany with the twelve. A couple things to notice here. Notice number one, that the going out wasn't near as exciting as the going in. Right? There's this big brouhaha, and then all of a sudden it says, and then he and the disciples went back to Bethany. Everybody had dispersed. It all went away. And of course we kind of know how the rest of the story went, right? But here's the question for this morning. When you look at this, it says when he had entered Jerusalem, he went into the temple, and when he had looked about it, everything, uh, they, they left and went back to Bethany. When he was looking at the temple, thank you, Jamie. When he was looking at the camp, temple, what did he see? And you're going, duh, you know. He saw the temple, right? Well, yes, I know. I know he saw the temple. Matter of fact, he had been there before, right? The, 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 and the temple had deeply left his mark on him when he was 12. We know that story. We know that he was outraged when he came and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the animal sellers. And he said, you've, you've, this is supposed to be a house of prayer and you've turned it into a market, turned it into a cattle market. And he was really upset with that. Um, but I'm thinking of a different angle this morning. Uh, one that we actually don't have an answer to. And here's where I'm coming from on this question. So I just finished reading through, I'm, I'm reading through, so in my reading through the Bible, I'm in Hebrews. I just finished Hebrews and I'm cruising towards the end. So it, it, it's really fun. And... Uh, and I'm reading the book of Hebrews, and an interesting detail caught my attention. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 8, it tells me this, and it's talking about Jesus' high priesthood. All right? So this is what it says. It says, For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, and thus it's necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, the he being Jesus... And obviously this is talking post-resurrection here. right? But there's a point here that I want us to see. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, that would have been the tabernacle, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain." And so what we learn from Scripture is that if you go all the way back to Mount Sinai, when God and Moses were on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and God spoke to Moses and gave him the exact pattern of how the tabernacle and the courtyard and the holies, and then the holy of holies was to be set up, that that was a shadow or a copy of something that actually existed in heaven. All right? And that tabernacle later went on to be the temple. And so the temple itself is also a shadow or a copy of something that exists in heaven. And so that day when Jesus walked up and saw the temple, we often think of the stone and the mortars and the rocks. But remember, Jesus himself said, you see all this fancy stuff? Not one stone is going to be left on top of another. The copy, the shadow is going to be wiped out. The reality is going to be eternal. And so when Jesus looked, what did he see? Was he aware of the heavenly reality? I think he probably was. And when he looked, he realized that this stuff is a shadow. 
or a copy. At best, we would call it what? A replica, right? If the Ark of Covenant and thus the temple were copies and shadows of the heavenly things, what do the heavenly things look like? Well, we get some peaks in Daniel. We get some peaks in Revelation, right? Was Jesus able to look past the shadow and copy and see the real? I'm suggesting that he did. But likewise, this morning, we're doing something that is a shadow or a copy of the things that are in heaven. Now, we're not looking at a tabernacle. We're not looking at a temple. But what are we going to do this morning? We're going to have communion together, right? Did you realize that communion is a copy or a shadow of the things that... In other words, what we do down here is just an imitation of what really exists in heaven. We know that when Jesus comes back, there will be what's called the marriage feast of the Lamb, right? You've probably seen plaques with this where there's the plaque, right? And there's, it's kind of a, a nice sunset. And then there's this long table all set with candelabras and things. You've all seen that. And that's a, a replica of the idea of we'll all be together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, that, that in itself is a shadow or a copy of an idea. What will that look like when all of God's people from all of history are done with all of the stuff and Jesus says, let's come together and let's have communion together. What will that communion be like? The Bible tells us it's out of our minds, joyful, nuts, crazy, like nothing we can imagine. Like our best stuff can't come close to it. Our deepest joys can't touch it. Like it will be so far beyond and so reconciliatory, so awesome, so relationally rich, we will just be absolutely overwhelmed and have nothing but praise in our hearts towards God. And so when we come together in communion, this is a shadow and copy of the things to come. You have to literally see this as we talked a couple weeks ago through the eyes of faith. This isn't the human eyes. This is the eyes of faith. Jesus was talking about a much bigger picture that when he did this, not even the disciples got it, right? But it's a bigger picture for us too. This isn't just about, hey, we get to eat some bread and drink some juice. Wasn't that delicious? Hmm, let's go home and have lunch, okay? That's not what this is about. This is about a shadow or copy of the eternal things. When Jesus held this up, he was said, this is my body which will be broken for you. He said, eat this in memory of me. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. This will be shed for the remission of all your sins. Just think in heaven, there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no sin, there's no self-doubt, there's no anxieties, there's no insecurities. It's all been remissed. It's all been covered. Can you imagine what church would be like if we had no guilt or shame or remiss? It would be fantastic. We would literally call that heaven on earth, wouldn't we? Jesus says, drink this in memory of me. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we live in a world that works 24-7, 365 
to tell us that the stuff down here, the shadows and the copies are what is real. There will be millions today, Lord, that will think football is more important than a relationship with you. And football is what is real, and church is what is phony. And we've exchanged the real for the shadow or the copies. Lord, that same voice says that the stuff they have is what's really important and the one with the most toys wins. And you tell us the stuff is going to be dust and chaff and will come to nothing. And Lord, there are people who think today that um, the real relationships are down here and that anything and everything we can get has to be gotten because this is the one and only life and there is no guarantees or promises in the afterlife and the reality is again, God, that's shadows and copies. Our relationships down here are merely an image of what's up there, of what will happen. And so Lord, as we stop today, we don't want to focus on the shadows or the copies. We recognize this is very temporary. We want to take our eyes of faith and focus them on you, the reality. Lock us in, Lord. Refresh us. Re-anchor us. Refocus us. Help us to stay locked in spite of the noise and the, the dissonance of our culture. And Lord, we pray that you will be kind and wake our culture up. We pray that you will do a work in Mill Creek We know it can't be of us because we've tried. We've pounded it hard here for 15 years. And not just us. My other brothers in Christ who are in other churches, Lord, the fruit is very small and very thin. Do a work in Mill Creek that would bring honor and glory to your name. Shake people up. Wake people up. Terrorize them if you have to. Do whatever it takes to get their attention. And Lord, we seek you that as a church... You've seen our faith. We stepped out believing you're part of this. And you you know the numbers better than we do. And Lord, you know the future better than we do. And we're, we're praying that we are poised and ready when you do something and do a work in Mill Creek. And Lord, we pray that that would be of you, that that wouldn't be a shadow or a copy, but would be the reality. And people would once again use your name with joy and with reverence. And we give that to you in your name. Amen.